So, welcome back to another episode of the Ecumen here with Pete and Jake. Today we're going to talk about the Incarnation, where Christ took on flesh in order that he could redeem the entire human race. So this is how God was going to go about making up for the evils that were caused by original sin and the rest of the sins that followed. So before we go further into the episodes, please remember to subscribe to us if you're listening on YouTube and uh the same way, please follow us on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, whatever your preference. We are happy to answer your questions as you throw them into the uh, comments below or throw us emails, whatever you prefer, and uh, we'll go from there. So uh, getting right into things. Question 77, did God abandon man after Adam fell into sin? The answer, God did not abandon man after Adam fell into sin, but promised to send into the world a Savior to free man from his sins and to reopen to him the gates of heaven. So, what's the big deal about this? God decides, as opposed to all other manners of how he could possibly help us out, to attach human nature to divine nature. The Son of God becomes this new combination of God and man, in order to redeem us. So to get this all straightened out, God never left us. He was fixing a problem that man had created by abandoning him. So we have to make sure that we're clear that it is man who abandoned God, which as we talked about in previous episodes, that is also known as sin. And then when we abandon God, we cannot get his benefits, his graces. However, he came to help us and was waiting the whole time for us to turn back. And the incarnation was going to be the means by which he would achieve that goal. So remember, when God came to man, he did so in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary to reach us as a babe, a man-god. It may seem very simple at first, but if it's divine, if this is a divine plan, then we must accept it, that it is perfect, and there was no better way for him to do it. You know, and, and we're going to go in more depth here. Jesus did not come down on a chariot with fireworks and a rock band and, you know, making sure that he was like this huge spectacle laser light show. One I'm of those here. really cool, like, cheek mics, you know, that come down from, like, the ear. <laughs> yeah. my favorite. He didn't do that. He decides that he will turn himself into a slave. He will humble himself, take on the flesh of man, become incarnate in the womb of the Blessed Mother, be subject to her for 30 years until Cana, and only then does he start to come out after that moment as God. And then, okay, he's going to do miracles, he's going to show everyone he's in charge, he's going to teach the apostles, but does he avoid the pain and the suffering and all of the persecution and the slander and the lies and everything else? Nope. Walks straight into it. He's like, yeah, I know. I know what you're going to do. There's the... I really wish I could remember who who said this quote. So if, if anybody knows, write it in the comments section. But uh, it's a great one that uh, why do why do bad things happen to good people? And the answer is, well, that only happened once, and he volunteered for it. Exactly. So to some degree, we're all culpable is the point of that comment. Yes, there are people, there are innocents that are uh, ravaged or persecuted uh, unjustly. They shall have uh, rewards in heaven. But to some degree, whether it's just by our fallen nature, right, that we were born with original sin, uh, whether it's through only a handful of venial sins, whether it's through dozens and dozens and scores of mortal sins, uh, to some degree we are all culpable. Uh, there was only one, one person who 
I guess you could technically say two if you're talking about the Blessed Virgin as well. There's only one one man that was that was born without any sin, never committed sin, and was completely unjustly crucified before the world. And I think the only the only exception to that comment may be John the Baptist. He was not conceived without sin, but he was purified of it whenever Mary and Jesus went to Elizabeth and John the Baptist. This is both when Jesus and John the Baptist were in utero. So when John the Baptist jumps in the womb, the church fathers talk about him being cleaned of mm-hmm. uh, original sin at that point. So that was his baptism. Um, but so what's the I'll what's the common that. thread? What's the common thread between John the Baptist, our Lord, the Blessed Virgin, or any of the martyrs who suffered horrible fates at the hand of the persecutors? Right? They did it willingly. All right. Uh, I believe it was um, Blessed Fulton Sheen who said, "Sacrifice without love is will always be viewed as evil." Right? If there's no reason to sacrifice, you're just enduring pain and suffering for no other reason than it's hurting you individually. It's it's uncomfortable and this is pointless. And then when you have that out uh, that mindset, that outlook on life, uh, well, then of course you can sit there and you can start to blaspheme the Lord by saying, "Why would you let this happen to me?" But if you love Him and you offer it up to Him and you're trying to get closer and closer to His Son, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in your suffering, trying to gain some sort of fraternal connection, if you will, for lack of a better phrase, or to be subject to him. There Sorry. is better, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, if you're if you're offering up your sufferings to him for that purpose, for his his glorification, then it all becomes there's a purpose to it, right? So having a purpose and sacrifice goes on to the whole reason why Jesus took on flesh to begin with, in that there was only going to be one way he was going to devise to open the gates of heaven it was going yeah to he, di- he didn't just show up to just be like oh you think you had it tough i can i can totally do that way more and look how much pain i can take and then you know he did there was there was a purpose behind him becoming incarnate there's a purpose behind him offering himself up to redeem us um it wasn't just a a one-upper type of situation that leads us into our next question who is the savior of all men jesus christ is the savior of all mankind and this is why we're all here. So everything that God did, not only God the Father creating everything with the in concert with the angels, but also Jesus Christ in his incarnation, and then the Holy Spirit in all of the work that he's doing, transforming and bringing to life and, and bonding and uh, renewing all things um, all together. This is when we have this perfect union, going back to the, the Trinity again, and then this... Uh, Trinity, this divine union, then creates the body, which is the Catholic Church, before Jesus Christ goes. And then they're the ones who now carry on his message and his graces from his salvation to enable all men to partake, if they're willing to subject themselves wholly to Christ, both to the men that he appointed and also to himself. And from the church, this is question 79, what is the chief teaching of the Catholic Church about Jesus Christ? The chief teaching of the Catholic Church about Jesus Christ is that He is God made man. Now, the big deal here is that this does not jive with most other religions of the world at all. They do not understand how God would ever humiliate himself in any capacity to do what Jesus Christ did. This is why Muslims argue that even though they acknowledge there was a man, Jesus, who died on a cross, it wasn't God. And then you have Nestorians trying to go and separate So Nestorius, the bishop, uh, ultimately deposed 
he was trying to argue then that there was two different natures and ultimately what amounts to their in their you end up with two different people it's really weird this is where the Aryan heresy starts to fall on its face in terms of well if you have a father and a son they have to be separated from each other the son has to come afterwards so in terms of how the divinity is supposed to be wrapped into what Jesus Christ is he, they couldn't rectify it but the point here is that as human beings that we all are when Jesus Christ incarnated took on the flesh he now took on all the sufferings and pains that every single one of us had to deal with and more. And there's no reason now for any of us under the sun to complain about one thing that happens to us, no matter what it is, anything, no matter how bad we could possibly envision anything happening. And I'm talking even Christians that are being tortured over in the Middle East. I'm talking about the sufferings that are going on now in China and all the persecutions there. It doesn't matter. Like the and any of the martyrs that come after, none of them suffered as much as Jesus Christ did in the matter of hours between his agony in the garden and his death on the cross. Period. He suffers more than any human being could ever hope to suffer. So when we put everything together, he knows what it is to be a human, hands down. Yep. He is and us as humans, we always like to mess things up. So that's where you get those heresies of, well, was he was he really man? Well, is he really God? Like, you know, uh, that is the Catholic Church, that he is God that becomes man, becomes flesh, actually has DNA, right? He's not just this weird, he's not some hologram walking around. Yeah, he actually has both natures at the same time. He has a human nature and a divine nature. He never lost his divinity in becoming Christ. So Jesus Christ is the man God or the God man, depending on your preference, but overall, only one being in all of time and space and eternity has bonded like he did to have fully man and fully God all at the same yeah, time. He has a human mother. And he decided, of all things, that he would make for himself a mother, a human mother, and the best mother that ever existed on the face of this earth. We talked about that in the last question, I believe. Wasn't the last lesson where we talked the Immaculate Conception? Uh, so, it was yeah it was one yeah. of the last two so when we go into the the divinity piece question 80 is why is jesus christ god jesus christ is god because he is the only son of god having the same divine nature as his father um i think we talked about this a little bit in the trinity so just to kind of recap um three divine persons but one divinity his role is to be the son of god his role is to share the unity or the in unity to share the will of God so that you never see a conflict in the divine will. And he's setting an example for every single person who he wishes to save that all of us are to unite our wills to his. Yeah, that's why we, I mean, it's, it is three people in one, uh, in one spirit, right? That's why we say we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, not in the names. So he is, he is uh, God. And then God the Father, you know, going back to we're getting into the incarnation stuff like that. God the Father, we talk about Jesus and what he took on when he became man for our salvation. And again, it goes back to our previous question, did God abandon man after the fall, Adam and Eve's sin, and all that? And not only did he not do that, um, but he also offered up his only son for us, right? So when we say, why would God let bad things happen to us? You know, and I would say that many people, everybody's different, but I would say many people would agree that probably somewhere close to the top of the, the list of, of human sufferings in this lifetime would be for a parent to lose a child. And God actually, God the Father goes through that. 
and God the Son actually willingly goes to his own suffering and death for us and for his father. So you have this perfect... And for his bride, the church that he just founded. Yep. And it's amazing from the standpoint of you watch an infinite God offer an infinite sacrifice to himself. So and now from the for standpoint of the... Yeah, for our sake. And so did Christ feel pain and all of that stuff? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He feels pain, but it... He's still still God, still man. He has all the attributes of man in terms of he feels pain. He did start on earth as a baby, grow older, and everything else. But still, at no point did he ever really... He never lost his divine knowledge. He doesn't really separate from God. So yeah, there's no weird, like... Uh, he finds himself. He, he finds starts, it. He's he like, just oh, like, hey, realizes. Look, good. No, he yeah. knew the whole time from the beginning. What the <laughs> church fathers and doctors talk about, though, is that over time... He grows, he, what he does is he selectively is revealing more of his divinity to the people around him. With that. So basically not I think to it was him. Father James Martin who tweeted out no, something about the, no, it was something no. about the, the women at the well and, and teaching God about his ministry. And, you know, even God takes cues from, <laughs> yes, that's what, that's what he needed. That was the one piece that was missing from his ministry. Was being educated about himself. Yeah, it's really interesting that all non-Catholic philosophies find amazing ways to make God not God and make him sound terrible and just to take his divine nature down as many notches as possible just to try to stomp on him. Unbeknownst to them, he's not really keen on all of those assertions. So it's uh, an interesting quandary we find ourselves in. But uh, either way, still God, still man. That leads us into question 81. Why is Christ why is Jesus Christ man? Jesus Christ is man because he is the son of the Blessed Virgin Mary, as we just said. So he's not, um, so even though God She the was Father, not a straw that he just kind of yes, was yeah. made up in heaven and kind of passed through into the world. Like She is the pinnacle of all of his creation. Mm -hmm. The most intimate relationship held between all creatures and God is between her and God. She is as close to perfection incarnate uh, as we could possibly see without divinity actually pre-infused in her. She doesn't have divinity like that. That's not her thing. But she willingly does everything that she does. She's amazing. And we have to acknowledge that she's unique. She's not just like a cool woman, right? <laughs> she's not just like, she. well, she was a really, really good mother. Like it's, it, That's it, true. It, it is very, that's very true. But it goes way beyond that. He, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in his, in his human nature, shares in her DNA. Yeah, she is the perfect She spent mother, nine months with him in her womb. He devoted, as you talked about earlier, he devoted 30 years to his mother. Ten times the amount of time he spent with his apostles in his ministry. Yeah, no one on earth has ever had or will ever have as intimate a connection to the divine, to the man-God, as Mary, our blessed mother. She... Also then, as you just said, Jake just pointed out, no one else on earth was able to be in charge of Jesus to control him and tell him what he was going to do other than Mary for as long as 30 years. That's huge. So if God is perfect, which we're all going to acknowledge God's perfect, and God's will ultimately will only go towards perfection, therefore he's never going to do anything that actually offends himself, he will never offend the father, things like that. And therefore, he will never do anything that is immoral or unlawful. 
when Mary gives him commands, Mary has to be perfect enough that every command that she gives him and every thought that she has in order to raise Jesus, her son, the man God, in accordance with all the laws and all the scriptures so that he can go on and be the perfect, sinless sacrifice for God the Father, she had to be perfect in order that she could give him only the right guidance, the right nurturing. It's amazing. So, and then in addition to then that relationship to the Blessed Virgin Mary, he has a body and a soul like ours. This mm -hmm. is why when we're going to talk about the Eucharist and what communion is to God, we're talking about the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. The body, blood, and soul, those are the human pieces that get attached to his divinity. The whole thing is beautiful. It's mysterious, and we're not going to try to go and break it into, just like when we talked about the Trinity, we're not going to try to break it into these parts to make it so we're just going to go down rabbit holes. But that's it. He's got body, blood, soul, and divinity. He is man and God at the same time, and we go from there. And so that's what questions 82 and 83 start to address. Is Jesus Christ more than one person? Nope. He is just a single guy. So he is one person, and that person, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, and in question 83, how many natures does the second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus Christ, have? Jesus Christ has two natures, the nature of man and the nature of God. There's many ways to try to describe that or to try to view it or to try to dive in in ways that will take us in errant paths. So we're going to avoid that at all yeah, costs. It's, it's not what it isn't is, you know, like some sort of. You know, remember those Power Ranger TV shows where they're all like, they each control like an arm and like a leg, you know, they all join forces. It's not that. Um, oh, it isn't, what do you say? <laughs> it isn't, it is not that God had a body and then just like, like a puppeteer or animatron is just controlling that body. God is present in that human and they living, they, breathing, they, feeling like all of us. It's, it's beyond, essentially it is beyond our comprehension. So all we need to know, and this is the beauty of the Catholic Church, all we need to know is what the Church tells us, that he was fully God and he was fully man. And we're still Catholic, and we're still in the states of grace, as long as we do everything else right. Just Well, I was, I was specifically talking about the natures of Jesus. But yes, there's, there's many more that go, and yeah. go into, you know, <laughs> there's many more things we need, to, we need to believe. Like, I'm not saying just that, but I'm saying as far as that, we don't need, we do not, it's not incumbent upon you, Peter, or me, Jake, to write a dissertation explaining it so everyone can understand. That is not, it's not our role, it's not our lane. Thankfully, that yes, yes, the church is the deposit of truth. This is why we're teaching the catechism again, to go through all that stuff. So that's why we're going to keep inviting you guys to keep going through all the lessons here. And I'll say again, make sure to throw your comments in here. So any questions you have for us, we're going to do our best to pull those answers out of the uh, magisterial and traditional teachings and the scriptures of the church. So make sure to follow us on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify. We're happy to answer questions and then get involved with you guys. So um, whatever you want to do to engage yourself with the truth, this is where we're at. And this is why we're trying to help you. So. I think it's, it's important to, you know, so we'll, I'll just read right out of the, uh, the catechism right here, right? It says, it is heresy to deny the divine nature of Jesus Christ by accepting him as merely a perfect man. It is also heresy to deny his human nature. Right? And obviously, I think the first one for most Christians goes without saying, right? It's, the, it's heresy to say he was not God. That, that should go without this saying is, for many Christians, even Protestants. This is why Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians, because they actually argue that Jesus wasn't God before a whole bunch of stuff happened to him. 
but it's also heresy to deny him his human nature because essentially it takes away the wonder that was his sacrifice. If he's just God and he's not human, you can start, you're already down that slippery slope path of like, well, did he really, did he really get tired? Did his muscles get weak? Did he feel pain? How would he know what I'm going through? Did right he know now? what thirst was? Exactly. He, can he really identify with me? He was God. That's heresy. God knows better than you can imagine the struggles in your own life. And he's still calling you to willfully commit to them. Yeah. And, and that I would add on to that too, that as much as people would try to argue and sit there and say, but I mean, he was God, he could do whatever he wanted. And so how did he, why would he feel pain? The point I would use, I guess one of the immediately comes to mind is the, because it's justice. Well, justice, number one. Yeah, absolutely. He's not going to be unjust. He has to be a just God. And he said he would be. He's infinitely perfect in all virtues. Therefore, in justice, he has to be perfect. You can't stand there at the judgment throne and be like, well, you don't really know. You know, you sit there and go, oh, really? Yeah. And I think that the example that comes to mind, though, is when they're in the garden, as the guards are going to abduct Jesus and Peter pulls his sword and cuts the ear off the one guard and Jesus tells him to put the, the sword away. And when he asks him the question, do you not think I could have legions of angels come down here right now and basically solve this problem? We hear that. And I don't know how many people connect the fact that what he's actually saying then is for his entire duration on earth, where he could, where he was supposed to, he did not employ divine measures to resist all of the things that we have to face as human beings. So he still hungered and he still slept and he still had to deal with he says temptations. That to, he says that to Pontius Pilate, I believe, too. And Pontius Pilate looks at him and says, you know, do you not have nothing to say? I, could, I can have you crucified. And he says, you only have what power I give you. <laughs> yeah. And in the end, he's sitting there and acknowledging his limitations. And then I think it all culminates with the fact that then when it gets to Pilate, it gets to Herod, it gets to the Pharisees lying and saying all sorts of terrible things about him. At no point does he do what Judas would have wanted him to do at that point, which was to throw off the yoke, smite every single one of the Pharisees, all of the Romans, throw down the emperor, raise up this brand new earthly kingdom and reign as this all-powerful king on earth. And Jesus says, no, that's not why I'm here. His kingdom is not of this world. Right. And if he's not going to rule on this earth like that, then that's when we have to get right out of our minds any notion of our lives being comfortable, us necessarily being in charge and getting our way all the time, or that we're going to escape all of the pains and sufferings that he had to go through. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I'll, I'll say it again, like to, to become close to him essentially means to suffer. He could have been born into royalty. He could have been born into, you know, in Rome, you know, with all the modern conveniences that Rome had to offer. But he was a blue collar man that worked with his hands, that walked everywhere. In what would amount to a backwoods territory in the vast, you know, urban sprawl of the empire in that time. Like, no one cared about Judea, with the exception of God had a plan the whole time. And it was going to be that a small little group of people was going to be the catalyst which brought Jesus Christ to bear and ultimately would result in the redemption of all mankind. I mean, and look at all of... All of his apostles, with the exception of Judas and Paul, you know, the great uh, converter of the Gentiles, they all suffered very terrible deaths, with the exception of John. 
Um, who still tried? They still tried to. They kill still him, tried though. to. They they poisoned him and boiled him. Attempted. Attempted. And nothing worked. Nothing worked. And, and it all again going back to God and His justice and His poet, His you know His awesome poetry and how He writes this story. Why does John? Why is John saved from martyrdom? Only one at the foot of the cross. Of He's all the, the only apostles. apostle that did not abandon Jesus during His passion, and was there caring for, comforting in what way He could. Mary. Well, I think he did run away in the garden, but he shows up again with Peter at the house of Caiaphas and then never deserts him and never denies him for the remainder of the entire affair. And then if you also look too, there's another key thing there that uh, all of us Catholics and honestly anyone else who wants to be in good with Jesus Christ should remember here. John takes care of and is always with the Blessed Mother. He never leaves her. <laughs> so if we want to go and consider the best way to face this world and not capitulate and fail whenever everything starts to go wrong, stay near her. She's already been through the worst. She actually is considered in part, um, well, I know she's queen of martyrs, but also at some level the first martyr because no one gave up an infinite, perfect king of kings, lord of lords, son of God. Oh, man, do we want to go into it? We want to go into the the Abraham type? If you want to, yeah. Would that go down? We Would should. that go down the, the rabbit hole too much? I think we should go into it because th- we'll then move into uh, the next question after this. So, uh, Pete, correct me if I miss anything here, right? So we have Abraham who has promised um, his descendants will be, you know, as numerous as the stars and the sands on the beach. Um, and then he's very, very old when he gets, when God tells him this. But he, he has a miraculous son, Isaac. And then God orders him to sacrifice Isaac. Yeah, on an altar. And so he's sitting there like, oh my goodness, you know, what What would you do when you're told, you know, this is your only son, you're not going to have any more, right? This is your lineage, that's it. But he, he goes through with it, right? He's yeah. going up the hill, all right? All of this, by the way, is a foreshadowing or a type, what's called a type of Jesus' passion. But anyways, he goes up the hill with Isaac, he's ready to sacrifice him god stays his hand but as his reward for his faith in giving up his finite son he is given he's made the father of all nations yeah because the the lamb shows up at the last minute to take the place of isaac and then he is told to sacrifice the lamb in place of isaac because he passed the basically the test and i don't like saying test because test makes it sound trivial or as if god is arbitrary and he's just trying to play games with people um, but God allows bad things to happen to people because of sin. So the thing is, is that um, Abraham actually doubts God. And when he doubts God, he goes off and ends up uh, uh, sleeping with his uh, concubine yep. and then has Ishmael. Ishmael, because whose he, descendants cause a lot of mayhem yeah. over time. And when he kind of lost that bit of faith, as we see with David and as we see with a whole bunch of other people, there were going to be impacts that followed that decision of Abraham's to try to take everything into his own hands when really God's like, no, 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 I got this. You just got to follow me, do what I tell you to do. So he goes off and he does it and he gets... There is punishment for that too. Yeah. He he gets reprieved though. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, Abraham gets reprieved. By contrast, Mary now is asked to do the exact same thing, except for in this instance, with her only son, with her only child, is said, give him up to God the Father and he will basically be sacrificed on the altar. But this is for the redemption of all mankind. So not necessarily so there could be the, an, 
a nation of many, you know. Not that you're getting something worldly out of it, right? You're giving up the infinite, which is the divinity of her son. To get the infinite. To get the infinite. And that's why she is made, in the Catholic faith we believe, she is made the queen of heaven and earth. Because she, so Abraham was asked to give up the finite in a, in a man, in a, in a son. Mary was asked to give up the infinite in a man God, in the son of God. And then when it finally came time to offer up, she didn't get a reprieve. There was no other lamb. The lamb of God was her son in this case, and she had to follow through and she did it. And it, the only way it was going to happen, going all the way back to what Gabriel told her at the beginning, is he's asking her and telling her, this is what's going to happen. Do you consent? And she says, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. At that moment, and with every other action she does for the rest of her life, she accepts that faith of Christ at the very end. That's why she is what she is and why we're in the situation we have and why we look at her the way we do. Why she's venerated so highly. No one else gave up the infinite. No one else was asked to give up the infinite in order to get the infinite. All the rest of us mere mortals, and she's immortal as well. She's a human creature, um, and we don't worship her. We honor her. And we venerate her in a similar sense. Like most Americans would understand, like how many of the, the founding fathers do we venerate to be perfectly honest? And I'm not talking about that in a sacrilegious sense. I'm sitting there saying they have statues, they have books. We teach about them in classes for little kids and in college or whatever. Like we venerate them. We honor them. We People like, get very angry about certain statues being taken down, whether it's in town squares or whatever it is. They get very angry. And why do they get angry? It's, it's just a piece of marble, right? Well, it's what the marble represents, right? The, the people that you think should not be so easily downtrodden or cast aside for one reason or another, people get very angry about that. Therefore, uh, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing when, when we're talking about uh, our various statues as well. But uh, yeah, that's why that's not to go down that rabbit hole too much, but that's why we view Mary the way we view her. Moving on to question 84, was the Son of God always man? No. Uh, the Son of God, although he existed from the beginning of all things, along with the Father and the Holy Ghost uh, forever, because he's divine and eternal, um, he was not always man. He actually only becomes man at the time of his incarnation with the consent of Mary and the Holy Ghost doing divine miracles to create the flesh of Jesus Christ and bond it to the divine nature that he is. Moving forward to question 85, what is meant by the incarnation? The incarnation that happened at that fixed point, that March 25th, 2,000 years ago-ish, um, by the incarnation, we mean that the Son of God, retaining his divine nature, took to himself a human nature and a body and soul like ours. So, and when I say a human nature, human nature is a body and soul like ours. So, we, we kind of started to talk a little bit about it. We've, we've danced around it in a handful of videos, so going into what the incarnation was. Uh, this is question 86. How was the Son of God made man? The Son of God, as the Apostles' Creed says, was conceived and made man by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So did he have flesh, as we just said in the previous question, before this moment? Nope. Uh, had he already planned to make it? Yeah, he already planned this was going to happen. But then when the Holy Ghost, with the consent of the Blessed Mother, come together in that little house in the Holy Land, whenever they came together, that's the moment at which the flesh of Jesus Christ, the flesh that would be offered up for our mm -hmm. 
sins so that we could be redeemed, so that we could align ourselves and ultimately down the road, as John 6 talks about, consume that flesh, take on and share in the divinity as Peter tells us would finally come to pass. All of that uh, comes to be because of how he was made man with the Holy Ghost and the Blessed Virgin Mary. So when was the Son of God conceived and made man? The Son of God was conceived and made man on Annunciation Day, the day on which the angel Gabriel announced to the Blessed Virgin Mary that she was to be the mother of God. And so we know this to be March 25th. Um, there are some really cool videos out there and other resources if you guys want to find out exactly why they know it's March 25th. So this is what the church fathers have passed down to us. Um, and I'll sit there and for all the people who are going to be like, well, how do you know? Well, I'll, I will include sources, number one. Number two, I'm going to go back to the words of Paul who says that truth, and these are the essential truths of the church, which would be the most important truths, are contained within the church. That's 1 Timothy 3.15. We're going to go then to Jesus, who is the truth, John 14.6, who tells us that if you want correction and you want to know how to live your life properly, then you go to the church for correction. And that's Matthew 18.17. So don't take my word for it, folks. Take theirs. Man, you're like the book of Eli. I love it. <laughs> folks, he is not looking. He's not looking at notes or anything right now. <laughs> Probably spend a lot of time doing this or something, but here That's we are. Good. Here we are. <laughs> we are just good. trying to help all you guys out. Do what I can. So, but if you guys want to try to stop me too, I'm I'm okay with that. So throw it you ever you have uh, my way. Uh, we're gonna go to question 88 now. Is Saint Joseph the father of Jesus Christ? And this may trip some people up, and this goes against that whole thing where I, we started to talk about it with the fact that there are a bunch of Christian traditions, especially, and maybe not Christian traditions so much as the non-christian ones that talk about jesus as just being a good dude <laughs> so he's, he's just, just here to show you how to share your lunch <laughs> it yeah and it's a bunch of weird it's when he fed the five thousand. that's all it was because they just, all just pulled their rotten fishes out of their well that was that was a jewish thing in the <laughs> desert just carry on dead fish in their pockets you know? share them all but yeah by his example we all go hey it's okay to give my very hungry neighbor a piece of this really bad sushi <laughs> Obviously, that, that, I mean, we're saying it kind of sarcastically, but the point is, is to like break it down to absurdity, just, to absurdity, to just show, to highlight how dumb that sounds. The, and I do mean dumb. We cannot take the miraculous and try to turn it into something natural, the divine. Which is what this question is about, because there yes, are people, I've, I've heard people out there that have said, well, Joseph has well, to be his dad. Well, Joseph has to be his dad. Like, if you look at Jewish custom, like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And then somehow they try to do some mental gymnastics that somewhere later on in life, like maybe he's hanging on the cross, maybe it's at the wedding in Cana, like the Holy Spirit comes down and like animates, you know, the man Jesus. And it's just, it's dumb. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yes. Everything starts to fall apart when you, when you take away... There is no superfluous in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. There's nothing extra. When you take one thing away, everything else starts to show cracks. Yeah, the thing it's is, it's not a buffet. The, yeah, John Henry Newman, all pieces of truth. Um, basically, he says the truth is indivisible. So if I start breaking it down and trying to remove ultimate, what amount to keystones, the entire structure collapses. So you can't do that. The instant you try to do it, you'll watch that rem that remaining. Uh, collection of facts now be much weaker than it was before that one keystone was removed 
And then you can now start just tearing the rest of it apart, which is why we're now looking at 47,000 denominations of Protestants in this current moment, because they're all arguing about different facets of the faith and all believing that they are right. And then when they don't like what happened because someone else said something, you know, and Pastor Jim said something there, no, nope, I'm going to go become my own pastor and make my own. And in the end, everyone can do whatever they want. Every truth it's is true. all I arguable. A, I had a conversation with, this was, this was years ago, I was in college, a good friend of mine. And uh, he's, we were discussing, um, and this was before I would say I was, this was before I was a good apologetic at all in both action and intellect. Um, not that I necessarily am one now, but anyways, well, I digress. I think, yeah, that was the, the comment that this guy made to me was, well, I think the most important commandment is, and you know, he goes on. <laughs> and I just remember... Because if there's one thing that I've always had, um, it's just been sarcastic wit, uh, which is not necessarily a good thing. But I just remember looking at him just being like, cool, dude. <laughs> it suits you. So it's Jake the Adequate. That's how he rolls. Jake the Adequate. <laughs> so. <laughs> but yes, uh, you cannot you cannot start falling to heresy by start. We, we just covered this on the two natures of Christ when it comes to was St. Joseph the father of Jesus the answer is he is the true spouse of the Blessed Virgin and the foster father of Jesus. Yeah, and this makes this starts to come together on why it would make sense that Joseph would actually want to put away Mary when she is found to be with child. Explain what put away means for those of yeah. us who haven't heard this before. So to put away, the way that it was actually put originally in scriptures, and now there's a whole bunch of different uh, translations which ultimately cause all manner of confusion, but what the original term was meant to be when it was put into the gospel was to divorce. Now let's go and pause for a second. Can one divorce a wife he does not have? No, which means he has to be married. Therefore, we can dispense with this whole nonsense that Jesus was either A, unplanned, or that B, Mary was single, okay? <laughs> they were married, Joseph and Mary were married. And if you look at Hebrew customs, I will post this in the links on our uh, chat on this topic here and explaining Joseph's relationship, but they were married. Now, the thing is, is Hebrew marriages happened in two phases. The first phase also, so this is the whole thing of marriage is also known as betrothal. The first phase, they live apart from each other. So that's why Mary still lives with her parents and Joseph still lives by himself. The end state being whenever they pass into that next phase of marriage, like all other Hebrew couples would, then they would go live together. Now, the thing here is that when they're married, and Joseph already knew they were getting married, and then he finds out, oh, she's pregnant. Let's remember the fact that Joseph, we know from Scripture, is a just man, okay? If he's just, that means he's not going to break the law. What was the penalty, do you remember, Jake, for uh, adultery in uh, Hebrew law? I believe it's a favorite of that region, uh, stoning to death. They do like stoning a lot. It's all over the place. I believe Monty Python uh, is really accurate depiction, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, the, yeah, stoning. They would have to, he has to stone her. Like, if he's a just man and he follows the law and he's not going to break the law, he's going to stone her because that's what was supposed to happen. Unless, maybe, he already knew what was going on. Like, he already knew that, oh, you are that woman who is supposed to have the virgin birth and you're having the son of God. So right there in your room is God. And all of a sudden he gets this horrible feeling like, no, 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 not me, not me, not me. It wasn't me. I'm not good enough. I've had all these mistakes. And he, in his humility, he's like, uh, 
you need to go find out whoever this guy is who's supposed to take care of you because it's not me. So I'll leave it to God to go figure it out. And let's also that we talked about all the effort that God put into his mother and choosing his human mother. Do you think he just left it up to chance on who he was picking? Like he's like, man, I I I made a an awesome awesome woman, the best woman that's ever been created. I made, and I hope she I hope she meets somebody cool. I I doubt it. I'm I'm pretty sure he had a hand in it. No, he he picked he picked a spouse that had been equal to her as far as you know looking after her, just following the law. Virtue. He would have been yes, a very virtuous man, and so it makes absolutely sense when you look at it as you just described it of him saying like, "Whoa, I am totally not worthy of." Like, I'm not. And then he has to be told by an angel, like, <laughs> yes, you are. Yes. In go fact, back, you are. Go back and do what is asked of you. And then he says, okay. very well. He now, submits to the will of God, just like Mary did. And this is why then getting now to the answer to this question here, Jesus Christ has no human father because his father is the father above. His father is divine. But St. Joseph was indeed the spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mary, excuse me, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and the guardian or foster father of Jesus Christ. So foster fathers out there, uh, I don't know how many of you come from spotted backgrounds, but uh, this is your man when it comes to asking for intercession uh, from heaven. St. Joseph, pray for us. Which, by the way, I'd also like to add, speaking of the two phases in the betrothal, lives apart, then they move in. Yeah. We do it, we do it way backwards. Now, yeah, this yeah, day modern age, culture has you just move in together, then you get married, and then by the time you're 30, you're living with your parents' divorce. But you know. it's, it's mess, yeah. All right, 89. So these are uh, some details on Christ's life on earth. So when was Christ born? Uh, Christ was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary on Christmas Day in Bethlehem more than 1,900 years ago. Now, uh, this original catechism was converted or written in 1949. When we're looking at... The time frame, we're now closing in on almost 2,000 years. You know, what we would be within almost uh, we're over 2,000 yeah, two years. It's 2020, Pete. There you go. What, what your, Y2K party. <laughs> your Y2K party is going to be off the hook, bro. Oh, crap. I should probably get rid of all those reservations. All right. So the reason we know it was Christmas Day goes back to the stuff I was talking about before with the Annunciation. The Annunciation and the reason they're able to find that is because they know when Zachary was actually in the temple offering sacrifice. So Zachary, uh, husband of Elizabeth, father uh, and mother then total, the Zachary and Elizabeth of John the Baptist, he was actually in then the temple doing sacrifice, so a Levite, doing his work for God. Then he only could have been doing his sacrifices, offering incense, to God during the period, which we now know as Yom Kippur, and that would have been in September, and then everything else in the scripture is all based off of that time frame. Which because is we know when Mary visits during the visitation of the six months, Elizabeth, we know Elizabeth is six months pregnant, yeah. and so at that point, yeah, you can you can piece together the, the timeline yep. actually quite easily. So this whole idea of this di di diabolic disorientation, well, we don't know, we weren't really meant to know, is garbage. It's 25th of December. Do you think that of all the angels, saints, the apostles, of the, the three kings, everybody, would have just, you know, they would have recognized this is the Lord, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Does anybody know when he, remember when he was born? It's like, ah, uh, we'll just, we'll put it at the winter solstice. Like, uh, so, yeah, so Mary lives to, uh, to be at least in her 60s, maybe older 70s, I think, something like that. 
because um, I think she died around 63. 63 so that yeah. would have been about 76 years old based yeah. on everything that uh, has been seen. What mother forgets the birthday of her kid? It's never going to happen. And to be, as we've just said before, she's the best mother ever. She's not going to forget the birthday of her kid. And do you think she's not going to tell everybody, hey, my son, son of God, uh, yeah, he was born on the, what was that day again? Or Peter, <laughs> like, or Peter, like walking around with the guy for three years in the desert. He's like, never, ever was once like, they never celebrated his birthday once. Didn't, didn't come up. I highly doubt it. So when we put everything together, you have these initial primary sources, uh, be it his mother, be it the apostles, and they're going to tell everybody because the thing is, is that we celebrate birthdays now in pop culture just because we celebrate a birthday and we want to have a day for ourselves, okay? These people were in the presence of God Almighty and they know when he incarnated and when he actually came out of the Blessed Mother to go begin the work that was supposed to be done so that all of the human race could be redeemed. The biggest, most important person that ever walked the face of this earth and then to do the most important act that has ever been done in all of human history no act of charity comparable we literally change the way in which we keep time based on his birth and yet you're telling me we don't know his birthday B bce no nope, no no common era <laughs> but, which is also too which also by the way is just like you're still using bc and ad you're just giving it a stupid secular name yeah, the whole point here is that they know when everything happened because these individuals lived their life for Jesus. They would remember all of the important facts about this man, God, who walked the earth because he was so important that not only did they live for him, but they all died for him. And if we remember that, it would seem absolutely asinine to think that any of these people would have forgotten what day it was. And before we sit there and be like, well, they just moved it because of the winter solstice, like Jake just said. No, that was Julian the Apostate because everyone who actually has followed any bit of science knows that December 22nd is the winter solstice. Christians are not stupid. However, pagans, on the other hand, who go play stupid games and don't understand that, well, if I just move from the 22nd and 25th to try to snuff out these Christians who are annoying the crap out of me, which is what Julian the Apostate actually did as he made religious freedom opened so that he could try to get rid of Christianity, of which he was a fallen away Catholic who went totally pagan. He's the one who tried to move it and say, let's celebrate the winter solstice three days later because that way maybe these Christians will just go away. So that's what actually happened, folks. Like it didn't That go was the other such way a out. Leo thing of you to say. Yeah. You're such a Leo. <laughs> <laughs> so when you put it all together, we know a lot of these facts because this is how important Jesus is. This is how important he was to those individuals at the time. And so we have to make sure that, that uh, we are all treating these facts with the proper respect, knowing that uh, God did not set us here for a mystery. So this will finish out with how many years did Jesus live on earth? Jesus lived on earth about 33 years. So that means around 33 AD is when he would have been crucified and died, was buried, ascended into heaven. And that means the church starts about the exact same time at Pentecost, just, a, what, 40, 50 days later, Pentecost 50, after this uh, event on the cross. And then we want to know how Jesus Christ spent his life on earth. Jesus Christ spent his childhood, youth, and early manhood in the home of his mother Mary and his father Joseph, working as a carpenter in the village of Nazareth in Palestine. He spent his last years in the work of his public ministry. So Jesus 
who lived 33 years, we know lived 30 years up until he ends up deciding to go public. So he ends up going from his baptism then to the marriage at Cana. And then that is where then finally Mary basically turns over the keys and says, okay, son, you're driving the car now. When she talks to him to tell him that the wine is running low. Because Jesus, now newly baptized, uh, come from John the Baptist, has not only the people who had heard about him, but then all the people who are following John the Baptist, a good chunk of them start following Jesus now because they're like, this is the guy. This is the one John the Baptist was talking about. So when Jesus and all of his party show up at another party, uh, that wine doesn't hold out. So what ends up happening is Mary notices the wine is running low. Jesus says to Mary, what is it to you and to me? And his question he's actually asking is a phraseology. This is Fulton Sheen. He's got a really great talk on it that he's actually sitting there saying, do you realize that if I do this mother, that everything changes and everything I was supposed to become, I'm now getting ready to become. This is where I'm going to be crowned. We're entering the final phase. Yes. And basically his way of saying that warning that Simeon gave you at the temple. And he said that your son's heart will be pierced and so will yours. That will happen if you have me do this. And Mary then turns to the steward and tells him to do whatever Jesus tells her. So at that, he doesn't say it snarkily like, what would you have me do? <laughs> I'm over here in the corner. I'm uncomfortable. Woman. woman. Yeah, no, woman. he's saying, he's saying very, very specifically, what would you have me do? I.e., continue to live with you as your protector, your son, or begin my public ministry. And ultimately redeem the entire human race. And what does Mary, the perfect mother, do? Wine steward, do what my son tells you because he's going to be king of kings, lord of lords, and he's going to start down that road. So she opens it up. At that point is when it transitions over and the last three years of his life are spent in public ministry, preparing for his passion, death, and ultimately that perfect sacrifice to God the Father. Well, and also it's it's pretty awesome too. It's again, it's another it's another type for the whole idea of how to live your life in God's in according to God's will. Because Mary says to the servants, who rep, we are represented by the servants, do as do as He wills you, right? Do what His will is. Whereas if you look at modern day society, maybe they're not as overt, but you can go look at satanic black masses, right? who are extremely overt and articulate about what they're, what they're all about. Aleister Crowley. Right. But what it says at the, at these multiple black masses have been happening the past year or so uh, on all their little flyers and stuff is do, do what you will. Yes. And that was Aleister Crowley's rule of his weird pagan, whatever satanic thing that he started. Uh, His only law was do what thou wilt, which if you actually look at what, was Satan thrown out of heaven over? He said, I will not serve. So it wasn't about do what God wills. It was, I will not serve. And in the end, if you look at then those rules that are coming out of the black masses or Aleister Crowley, well, my will is not God's will. So if I'm going to just do what I want to do, then I'm going to be an adversary of God. So finishing out then this lesson here, what work did Jesus Christ perform in the course of his public ministry? Um, He gave us an example of great virtue. He preached his message of salvation, proved the truth of his message through his miracles and prophecies, and established the church with its sacrifice and sacraments for the salvation of men until the end of time. So, yeah, we're going to have those people out there, the detractors, who will say that he was just a good dude. 
Um, he was the good dude. Good meaning of God. He's the guy, the man, the God man who founded a church, who set the example, wrote the book, the, the laws basically, told them all that was supposed to happen. And again, did not write the Bible himself. His apostles did that for him. Christ means the anointed one. Yes. And, and uh, in those days, and it says here in the catechism, in those days, all the kings, all the priests, and all the prophets were anointed. And Christ fulfills all those roles. Right. And while we're talking about that, Christ meaning the anointed one, Jesus meaning our Lord and Savior. So our Lord and Savior, the anointed one, Jesus Christ. So Just some guy. <laughs> I don't really know what it means. I'm, <laughs> I'm not a namiologist. I don't, I'm not really sure. So, yes. So we're trying to make sure that everyone is clear on the fact that God was explicit in what he was attempting to tell us. All of his instruction is quite straightforward. He gave us all the tools we have here now through his incarnation on earth to walk on the earth, to give us a church, and then to help us move out and be faithful Catholics going forward. So in future episodes, we're going to go and expand on what it is to be in the church and what the church is, um, what the offices are, the the sacraments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, stay tuned for the next lessons. Make sure that you follow us on YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, and uh, any other services. We'll see what else we can get out there. But keep uh, engaging with the community however you can. Throw us questions. We're happy to answer them. And Please like content. and share this video. Comment. It's the only way we can get out there, probably by word of mouth. Um, you know, I'm not an expert, IT expert on the algorithms, but we're probably not at the top of YouTube's list or, or Apple or SoundCloud or any of their lists for for being suggested so please share this as you uh see fit absolutely thank you all again for listening and as always saint joseph pray, pray for, for us, us.